The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I had a passage of scripture on my mind that I've tried to preach from before, but that I want to go back to tonight. It's been some time, as I recall. But, um, I recently had someone uh, ask me to share with someone they were close to, just said, Brother Chris, just just tell them the good news. Just 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 share the good news. And you know, that's a pretty simple request. Yeah. But it carries a great blessing and a great burden. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that aspect of, of it in some sense. Uh, but, but I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 2. And in verses 14 and 15, I believe is a sort of a little microcosm of what we believe here at this church. And it kind of uh, could give us a, uh, a good uh, blueprint, if you will, about what it is that we're to do as a church, you know. Uh, it's easy to say, tell them the good news. But what is the good news? Uh, there's there's uh, a lot of people that go out into the out in the denominational world and that go out into the world and they take what is called the good news, the gospel, and they preach it to people and share it with people. But at its root, it's really not good news. And And also the other question is this, is what does the gospel actually do? What does it actually do? Because there are some that say that the good news that's preached is that which actually causes, either causes a sinner to make a decision that will change their heart, uh, that will bring about the new birth, or it uh, uh, through maybe the sovereign work of God, and yet the, the Lord has to have that gospel in order to apply it to a heart and cause them to be born again. So um, what is it that we're to teach? What is, it, what is our mission as a church? And I believe right here in Hebrews chapter 2, in, in verse 14 and 15, we sort of find a good overview of that, a good summary, if you will. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's a whole lot of preaching in those two verses. A whole lot of truth wrapped up there that I want us to look at some of it tonight. I hope we'll be able to cover it all, but I want us to look at some of it because it's been on my heart. What is it that we uh, are to preach? And, And what is the... What is the purpose, what is the work of the gospel versus the work of God? So I said, I've tried to preach on this before, but it's so important that I think we need to go back to it. So let's, let's look at it here. You know, the first thing we see here is, is that there is a work that is holy and solely of God. He says in verse 14 that the children, that is us, his children, as much as, for as much as then the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that is, we are human, we are born in nature, we are born with a natural 
uh, as a natural man, uh, we are not, uh, as Adam was, in a, able to engage in fellowship with God. When Adam was created, he was able to speak with God. He was able to walk with God. He was able to fellowship with God with no mediator in between. But when Adam fell, when Adam ate of the fruit, that ended. And then in the fifth chapter, I believe it is of Genesis, you'll start reading about Adam begetting uh, children in his likeness and like basically like him. And every single one of them, it says he begat so-and-so and so-and-so lived so many years and he died. And then another child lived so many years and he died. And then another generation and they lived so many years and he died. It's the graveyard chapter of the Bible. It begins to teach us about what happened because of Adam. And you see, the children, that's us, we are partakers of that. Uh, the, the literal word is a part-taker. We are a part-taker of Adam. We are just like him. In our nature, we are, we are dead in trespasses and in sins. We are not of the divine. We are not, as some religions teach, a part of the divine oneness. You know, there are those that teach that, that there's just some kind of uh, un unconscious almost divineness out there, sort of this new age teaching that we're just all part of that and we got to raise our consciousness to the point where we can really get in touch with it. I, I saw a guy, and I, I always used to know his name and uh, if I called it, you would know it, but uh, he's on one of those late night shows. He was talking about getting in touch with the inner you. Well, you know, I've gotten in touch with the inner me, and it's not pretty, okay? It's not very pretty at all. Uh, the more in touch I get with the inner me, the worse I act, and the worse I feel, and the worse I live, because the inner me that is in nature, that inner me is dead in trespasses and in sins. That's right. So that's what we are in the flesh. That's what we are in nature. And because we are partakers of flesh and blood, that is, we have a carnal nature, he also had to come down and to have a body. Now, he didn't have a carnal nature. He was not the first Adam. He was the second Adam. But because, you know, the reason he couldn't stay in heaven and save us is because there had to be a sacrifice for sin. Yeah. He could not, you know, that's the reason he didn't come down as a dog. Because dogs, you know, he didn't come down as a, a divine cow as they worship in some places. He didn't come down, you know, he didn't, that's why, that's why we don't talk about dogs going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. He didn't come down as a dog. He came down as a man. He came down as a man to be a partaker of the flesh and blood like we are because it had to happen because that's what we were. He had to die. He had to become one of us. And so the first thing we see is, is that there's a part that Jesus had to play. And the purpose of him coming was that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. God's work is contained here in this verse. And God's work is, is saving his people from their sins. That's what he did, okay? That's what the Lord did. He he came down, and, and let's just turn back with me over to Isaiah. I've been, I've been sort of studying the book of Isaiah, and there's some, there's some good stuff in Isaiah. Did you know that Isaiah, Isaiah is one of, uh, it's, it's really a unique, uh, unique book. Um, it's got 66 chapters. Isaiah's got 66 chapters. You know how many bi uh, books of the Bible there are? There's 66. Uh, if you read through the book of Isaiah, you'll read the first 39 chapters. And the primary focus is on the nation of Israel and on their uh, evil and wicked doings and the judgment of God 
that is coming because of that and that has had to fall and all the things that it's really a rather negative story. In fact, when you get to chapters uh, uh, 38 and 39, you really get to hearing some negative stuff because you're reading about it, Hezekiah. Uh, I think in chapter 39 it is where Hezekiah has recovered from his sickness and he's gotten all giddy and happy and everything's going well for him. And, and the Babylonians send an entourage or an embassy to him to uh, to, to sort of talk about, I guess, po uh, foreign relations. And, and he, says, uh, he says, wow. He said, let me just come in here and show you all the stuff I got. <laughs> and that's not real smart, you know, on his part. He, he said, let me take you in here. I'm going to take you in here and show you all the treasures of the house of God. He shows them all the treasures and the gold and the, the stuff that, that pertains to the house of God, the, the, the bowls and the cups and the things even used in the, in the worship service. And, and um and, and, of course, then the prophet goes to him and says, what a fool you are, because you've shown him all this, these, uh, you've shown the Babylonians all this stuff uh, that is yours, and because of that, partly because of that, uh, they're going to be coming down here in another generation or two, actually about three generations, I believe it is, after Hezekiah, and they're going to take all this away and take it captive. You remember in Daniel, the... Uh, fifth chapter, I can't remember which, maybe the seventh chapter. Anyway, wherever it is about the handwriting on the wall, the reason of the handwriting on the wall is because Belteshazzar, the Babylonian king, who was uh, uh, one of the, uh, the Babylonians of ones that came down and took the nation of Israel captive under Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar was, was a successor to him and he had taken all that stuff all the holy items out of the treasury to bring them in to have a big party with them. And you see, you see those, you see Hezekiah showing it off here. Next time you see it, Belteshazzar is, is bringing it out and, and uh, they've taken it captive. You see, so it's something, it's a real negative message. It's a real, you know, the, you know that the, the book of Malachi ends with a curse. The book of Malachi talks about the curse, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He's talking about problems and things that are going on in the lives of the children of Israel. And then the 40th chapter of Isaiah begins like this. It's, and I, we're going to get to it. It says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. You know what the 40th book of the Bible is? It's the book of Matthew. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. You see, you know, you know where you read about the new heavens and the new earth? You read about it in the book of Revelation. You know where else you read it? About it in the 66th chapter of Isaiah. Boy, that's an amazing book. And I didn't mean to get off on all this, Brother Buddy, tonight, but it's an amazing book. And it's also, it's, it's kind of like a mini Bible in, in and of itself. If you really said, I can only have one book out of the whole Bible, you might as well take the book of Isaiah because it's like a mini Bible. It's got all these things. It begins in chapter 1 with uh, uh, talking about the earth, the earth, the earth. And, 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 and Genesis, what is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> you know, it starts out like that. It ends up with a new heaven and a new earth, just like the book of Revelation. So uh, this is an amazing book. I've been reading through it some lately. And, and over in the 42nd chapter, remember now we're talking about the work of God. Notice what it says in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up his, nor call... He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, there's a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is the first elect. <laughs> he says he's mine elect. Now, I realize he's not chosen from out of a people or from out of the angels. Don't get that idea. The Lord Jesus Christ is co-equal with God. He is, he is the second person of the Godhead, as we usually say it. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're not... None of them are subordinate, subordinate to the other. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully God, right. but yet he was a partaker of flesh and blood. Right. He came down as fully God and he became a, a, a real man. He became as much man as if he were not God at all, even though he remained as much God as if he were not man at all. Right. And no, I can't explain it. <laughs> I wish yeah. I could, but I can't. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll understand it, Brother Ronnie. I don't know <laughs> if we we'll even understand it in heaven, but it won't matter in heaven. We won't be worrying about this kind of stuff. We'll just be happy and and praising the Lord. So, but, uh, but he, he came down here and he, in a sense, is the first elect of God. He's the primary elect, if you will. He was the chosen vessel, the one that God uh, uh, purposed in himself to come down and to save his people from their sins. And notice what it says. He'll bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. We read about him, I believe so, in the book of Matthew when it quotes this bruised reed, shall he not break? I like that. You know, notice what he says. He's going to bring forth judgment. He's a righteous judge. He's going to bring forth righteousness. You know, that scares me to think about that. Some people say, I just want what's coming to me. I don't want what's coming to me. <laughs> I know what's coming to me if I, get what, if I get what's coming to me. I don't want fairness. I don't want judgment and justice. I want mercy, you see. But he's, he's a God of judgment and a God of justice. He's going to bring judgment to the nations, to the Gentiles. And it says he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's not, going to, he's not going to complain about it. He's not going to do like me when I go to do my job and say, oh, here I go again. Got to go do it again. And, you know, blow and, you know, do all that kind of stuff to try to make it look, let everybody know that I'm not happy doing my job. That's not what the Lord Jesus Christ did at all. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm ashamed when I act like that. There's times when I go to work complaining. <laughs> There's times when I get out and do stuff and I'm just like, oh, here we go again. I've got to do it again. Here, Lord Jesus Christ didn't do that. He kept his mouth shut. He was like a lamb, dumb before his shearers. He was, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was dumb before his, his captors and before his tormentors. He did not open his mouth. He didn't cry. He didn't lift up. He didn't cause his voice to be heard in the street. Not only did he not cry out in the temple, not only did he not cry out in the judgment hall, he didn't cry out in the streets. He never did complain about where he was and about the job that he was to do. And he was bringing judgment. He was bringing, he was bringing righteous judgment. And you know, one day righteous judgment's going to rain down on this world. And that scares me in my flesh when I think about what a sinner I am. But notice what else about him it says, a bruised reed he shall not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. You know these reeds, you know what he's talking about is a reed like you find at the water. And you know, you know compare that, I remember seeing some, it may, have been a, it may have been a comic book, but I want to say it was a cartoon show one time about, about an oak tree and a reed. And the reed was complaining about not being strong like the oak tree, but eventually uh, the oak tree and the wind, the, the reed would blow in the wind. Eventually the wind got so bad the oak tree broke. <laughs> but the reed was okay because it would bend with the wind, you see. And the point being, they were, show, they were showing some, some things that were, uh, were uh, uh, pros to being uh, a reed as opposed to the cons of being you know, stiff-necked and, 
and tough. You know, sometimes I like to think of myself as an oak tree. You know, I like to think I'm tough. I'm tough. But the truth of the matter is I'm really like that reed. Most of the time, I feel like a bruised reed. Now, you think about, you've seen reeds out, you know, little very tender plants, very easily broken. And have you ever taken one and you just mash it a little bit or maybe you've run over it or stepped on it and it's, it's got a defect in it, it's got a bruised place in it. How much does it take to just break it on off? It's so it's, it's easy to break a reed anyway, but when that thing's already bruised, you just snap it right off. You know what the Lord says? This, this man, this God-man who has come down to bring judgment, he's not even going to break a bruised reed. <clears throat> the smoking flax, just you, you think about uh, some um, shavings or some, uh, some little, you know, very small pile of, of, of something that's flammable. And it's just barely smoking. And you, you're trying to, you know, I always think about that uh, story, uh, that uh, uh, story about the guy up in, up in Alaska. And it was written by, uh, I can't ever think of the guy's name, but he, he wrote uh, a lot, Jack London. Jack London wrote it about uh, a guy who was trying to, he was out in the wilderness and he fell in the water and he was trying his best to get a fire going. It was the most depressing book I ever read because uh, at the end of it, just as the fire gets going, he's built the fire under a tree and a whole big load of snow falls down on the fire and the guy freezes to death. You know, that's just, uh, I've, I've thought of that a lot. And I think, I think about that when I see that how, how easy it is to put a fire out in general. But can you imagine you're trying to get that fire going, you need that fire for warmth and, 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 all, and all it would take is just a little whiff of, of, of a breath of air. It's just, and it's gone. But our Lord is so gentle. Our Lord is so gentle that when you feel yourself to be like that smoking flax, He's not going to quench that. He's not going to do anything. He's not harsh when He comes in to His people. He's not hard when He comes into the bruised reeds of this world. He's not even going to break them, you see. And it says, He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail. Now that tells me what he's talking about here is the eternal salvation of his people. Because I want to tell you, there's many times that my deliverance here fails. There's many times that things I do here, that things that require me to be part of it, fail. If this required me to be part of it, it would fail without a doubt. But he shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, mine elect, my servant, whom, I'm, whom I uphold, is coming down, and he's going to do a work that will be finished. It will be done right. It kind of sounds like Matthew one twenty one, doesn't it? He shall save his people from their sins. I don't see any place for his people to act and to work in there. I don't see any place for his people to take part in that work. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he, he, before he went to the cross, he prayed that great high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. He didn't say, I've gotten it to the point now, Lord, where it's going to be up to them to finish it. He said, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. I like that. I like that. Because that tells me that God had a work to do. And it's that work that he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. That through death, 
he might destroy him that had the power of death through his death, not through his death and your cooperation, not through his death and the application of it by the priest or the preacher, but through his death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. He, he destroyed the devils. He destroyed him that had the power of death. No longer will death hold dominion in this world. You see, he accomplished that. And then in verse 15, he says, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, let me just back up and say this. How is it that we can be delivered from that fear of death? Well, first of all, uh, if we're dead, we can't be delivered from anything, right? Uh, from fear. We don't have any fear, right? If we're dead, there's no fear. Uh, so something's got to happen to us first. John 5, 25 tells this. He says, Behold, the hour is coming and now is when they which are dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. I love the fact that it doesn't say if they hear, they'll live. It doesn't say that uh, if we can preach it to them, they can live if they'll respond to it. It says the hour is coming and now is. That means at that moment, already there was a time when the Son of God's voice would speak to His children and every single one of them that He speaks to would live. I love that. I love that. But once you've been given life, okay, once you've been, uh, once you've been born of the Spirit, what next? What next? Well, some say that every single one that is born again, before they're born again, they will hear the gospel and be obedient to it. But you know, that's not what my Bible says. That's not what... Um, uh, we read in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, to get the context, it says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The, the writings of the Old Testament were given to the Jews. But then look at verse 3. He asks a question. Because this was prevalent in the time of the writing of Romans. In the time of the writing of Romans, remember Paul had, had been preaching to the Jews. Paul had, in the book of Acts says, I'm preaching to you Jews in the 13th chapter. And then again in the end of the, of the uh, book of Acts, uh, he says to them, seeing ye judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now that doesn't mean that they weren't going to have eternal life. You notice he didn't say that God has judged you unworthy of eternal life because if, uh, if he was saying that, then everybody would be unworthy. But he was saying, you, you Jews here that I'm preaching to, you're judging yourselves. You're not wanting to hear what I have to say. You're rejecting my message. So we're going to turn to the Gentiles and preach it. And now here's the question. What if some did not believe? Well, that was clearly happening in the day that Paul was preaching. There were some he was preaching to that wouldn't have it. There were some he was preaching to that didn't want it. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? What faith of God is he talking about? He, he, he tells us in, uh, 
uh, over in one of the Psalms, and I believe it's the 89th Psalm, but I don't hold me to that. I believe that's where it is, where he says that, uh, uh, talking about the seed of David, he said, if, if they forsake my way, if they don't do what I say, basically, he said, then I'll, I'll, I'll rain down some judgment upon them in this life. He said, yet will I not suffer my faithfulness to fail. The faithfulness of God is without any conditions, is without any ending. It does not, it is not affected by what you do. I'm thankful for that. Now, there's some things that you can do in this life that will cause the chastening of God to come upon you. You know, you can stay away from church and never again receive a blessing from the assembled body or the preaching of the Word of God. You can do that. You can, you can, you can uh, go out and live in a way that is not pleasing to God and you can expect trouble in your life. But guess what? The faithfulness of God and His eternal salvation will not fail. Amen. You see, what if you don't believe? You know what the world's answer to that is? You're going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> That's what the world says. If you don't believe, if you're not a believer, you're going to hell. Notice what the answer Paul gives is. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. God forbid. I'm so glad to hear that. Because you know what? I hate to admit this, but probably the majority of every day of my life, I'm an unbeliever. So wait a minute, Brother Chris. You believe the gospel. You believe the truth of grace. You believe the faithfulness. You believe all these things you're preaching, don't you? I do believe them, but I don't act like it. I don't act like it. You had any worries this week? You been worried about anything? You been angry about anything? Not working out the way it should have? The way you thought it should have? You been concerned about problems? You have been down and out? You been, uh, uh, you've been completely uh, focused on your own things? Well, guess what? And in, in as much as you are uh, not trusting in God, you're an unbeliever. You're an unbeliever, you see. And what he's saying here is, is that what if some did not believe? Now here particularly he's talking about believing the gospel. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. I'm thankful God is true even when men are not faithful to Him. God is faithful to them. So what he's saying here is this. There's a place for the exercise of our will in the belief of God's Word. It's not a place that's going to get us to heaven. He goes on and deals with that actually in the 10th chapter of Romans. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but you remember what he said there. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And of course, as we always say, you need to ask the question, saved from what? Whenever you see that word saved, he said, For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God. It's a zeal from God. It's a zeal uh, for Him and of Him, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They haven't believed. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So we started out this saying there's a work that's God's. And then there's a work that's the gospel's. So let's talk about that for just a few minutes. Going back to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
I believe here in verse 15 we find the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel. See, notice that verse 14 is over. He has destroyed him that has the power of death. He's destroyed death itself. He's put it out of business. But in our lives, you know, he could have done that and never told us about it. Right. He could have done that and, and then gone back to heaven and left us to wander and to struggle. And everyone that's ever born again is going to have that struggle. I said this morning that there are those that have been born of the Spirit. The, the voice of the Son of God has spoken to them. And due to their circumstances, geographically, where they're born, where they live, maybe, maybe where they grew up, maybe it's even in this country, but maybe it's somewhere overseas. Due to their circumstances, they may never hear that voice. Again. You know, I hear that voice when I read the Word of God. When I come here and I hear Brother Buddy and Brother John Morgan and others preaching the Word of God, I hear that voice again. It resonates with me. I'm like the man that came in uh, to the assembly where they were prophesying, and I'm judged of all. I'm convinced of all. And I can fall down on my knees and say that God is with you of a truth, you see, because it resonates with me. But there are those that may never hear that, may not have heard that all their lives. God could have gone back to heaven and left us here to wander and to search for that. But praise God, He gave us the good news of the gospel of the grace of God to share with people. Why? So that we can be delivered from the fear of death. Amen. That's a bondage. You know that? Amen. Being in fear of death is a bondage. Yes, yes. You know, some are in fear. And I, I believe the fear of death is talking about here is the fear of really of what happens after death. Right. <laughs> That's really what he's talking about. Not, not so much... Uh, not so much the, the fear of dying, the physical dying process, but what happens after death. I was, re I was listening to a, a, a couple of different times to the, some of these modern astronomers and philosophers. You know, you've heard me mention Carl Sagan before, who was an atheist. And uh, when he died, his widow put out this statement that we don't ever expect to be reunited. We don't believe there's anything after death. There's another astronomer uh, uh, who is, uh, uh, if I called his name, you know it, but he was on an interview about the afterlife and his view of the afterlife was he believes we go on living in the sense that the energy in our bodies dissipates and just goes back out into the space out there, you know. He said, so in that sense, we're immortal, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, what if I got up here and preached that to y'all today? Guys, listen, when you die and your body's laid in the ground, all the energy among your cells and your neurons and taxons and your mitochondria and all that stuff in your body, guess what? It just kind of goes up into there. <laughs> Go home and have a good time thinking about that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Wow. I mean, really. Can you imagine how? See, that's a fear of death. If I thought it was all over, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the age where I'm, I'm nearly 51 years old. And I'm thinking about things that, uh, and, I, and Lorraine's shaking her head. <laughs> she in disgust looking at me. But I'm thinking of things, you know, uh, I can't do. I haven't gotten some things done that I wanted to get done yet in my life. 
and, and I just don't have a whole lot of time left, you know? Things are just kind of, uh, they're not winding up anymore for me, they're winding down, you know? So, so I'm sitting here thinking, if all I had to look forward to is what I see before me in this life, I'd have a real fear of death. Yeah, that's right. Plus, if I didn't know the good news that Jesus had put away my sins. Amen. When I look at my life and I realize what a sinner, not just what in theory I am. Let's, let's put that aside. I know what the Bible says. Oh yes, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. No, let me tell you something. I really am dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? Think about it now. I get, understand what I'm saying. The Bible says... We're dead in trespasses and sins. You know, we could just spit that out and say, yeah, we're dead. And oh, poor, pitiful us, we're all dead. No, listen, you really are dead in trespasses and sins. In your flesh. You really were. Your flesh really is bad, okay? You really are not just a, you're not just somebody that's disappointed God. In your flesh, you're an enemy of God. And even if you've been born again, well, I say especially if you've been born again, because when you're born again, you're going to struggle with it. But even if you've been born again, I, I, I've got to believe that the majority of the time, what you do is violate God's law. I, I don't believe I can sit here and tell you. I know I can't sit here and tell you that, well, you know, 51% of the time I'm a pretty good guy. 49% is when I mess up. See, that's what the world wants you to do. They want you to... They want, most of the teaching out there is just do a little bit more good than bad, and then when you get weighed in the balance, you'll get, the, you'll get an entry key into heaven. Yeah. You know? But what the truth is, if you examine your life, let's not think about it in theory, all God's people are dead. Think about you yourself. You are dead in your natural state. You're a sinner. Every single act of righteousness you do. Now, I'm talking about me too here, Okay. Every single act of righteousness you do is tainted with the sin of Adam. You've never been sincere in your life. You haven't. I, I know I, there's, I'm more sincere sometimes than others, but I've never really been sincere my whole life because I'm always looking out for me. I've always got some angle. You've always got something in your mind that is, uh, uh, that is impure and self-focused. See, you think about if we didn't know the good news that Christ has saved his people from their sins. What a struggle we'd have in this life. But you see, this is what we're talking about here. He says, Christ came to destroy death, but he didn't stop there. He also came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And that's what precipitates somebody to come to me as a preacher or a brother buddy or, or just to one another and say, hey, I want you to tell him the good news. I want you to tell him the good news. I know what Christ has done for but I want this friend of mine to hear it because I believe my friend is a child of God. You know, the purpose of most preaching in the world today is to try to, try to get somebody saved for eternal heaven. And when you're doing that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to him and say, listen, did you know you're going to hell unless you make a choice? Yeah, right. <laughs> Boy, that's, uh, whew, that's, that's something, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing scary about the gospel. No. There's nothing scary about the good news. See, that's not good news. That's bad news. That's right. yeah. Yeah. 
You see, when you go, when you know the good news, you can sit down with somebody and you can say, "Hey, tell me what's troubling you." Mm -hmm. I just, I've had, you know, I've had this burden. I've had this conviction that I feel like I'm, and everybody tells me I've got to do something. What? Well, let me. You know what you can then do? You can say, "Let me tell you." what Jesus Christ has done. In fact, I've used this very, these very verses before and said, let me tell you what he's done. He's destroyed death. And now you need to be delivered from the fear of death by understanding what Jesus did on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 40, I told you Isaiah is such a sweet book because it mirrors the rest of the Bible. Chapters 38 and 39 talk about these bad things that are coming. And then chapter 40 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Well, how are, okay, Mr. Isaiah, how, how are we going to comfort? What are we going to do? Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, mm -hmm. that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Her warfare is accomplished. That, that warfare being accomplished, that phrase gives the idea of your term of military service is over. Mm -hmm. it, that's what he's talking about there. See, you've been serving, okay? And up to this point, up to the time of Christ, all those Old Testament saints had been laboring, not fully understanding what was going to happen when the when the perfect Lamb of God came. Some of them they didn't even really understand what they were writing, I believe, Brother Buddy. They didn't really get it. I don't know that Isaiah understood it all. But when the, when the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the... Can you, can you imagine? Remember, John the Baptist was a Jew. John the Baptist probably was in that sect of Essenes out there that were, but maybe not. They were kind of a... A wilderness sect out there. They, they moved out in the wilderness. They, you know, John the Baptist was a weird looking guy. I mean, just really. He was dressed in camel's hair, said, Let's go eat supper with John the Baptist, okay? We're going to have locusts and wild honey. <laughs> That's what we're going to eat. I'm not going to eat with him very much because I don't believe I could live with that. But he, uh, he's going, he's, he's a strange guy and he's only got the Old Testament. But now John the Baptist knew something was coming. He was the voice, as he's, we're about to read about it here, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. He had more light than any others did. And the Lord had told him, said, there's going to be a, a man coming one day. He's going to show up and the spirit, my spirit's going to descend upon him like a dove. Uh, and uh, and he, said, he saw Jesus that day. And it was like the, it was like the pinnacle of all the Old Testament teaching. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. Oh, what a triumph. That was like, that was a Jubilee trumpet right there, brother. <laughs> that was a Jubilee trumpet. That's, that's as great, that's more glorious than the man who was blowing that 50-year Jubilee trumpet, uh, uh, knowing that his whole family and all those that had been in bondage were about to be freed. John the Baptist was blowing the gospel trumpet right there. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. <laughs> See, something was coming. They've been in warfare. They've been serving this military service up to this point, and now it's accomplished. Yeah. And the iniquity is pardoned. <laughs> Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The world of His people, all their iniquities were taken away. And then look at this. I love this. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double 
for all her sins. You know, I struggled with that a little bit. Uh, at one time, I did some reading with some, some of the uh, commentators, and I didn't really feel satisfied with anything they said. But I want to tell you what I believe this is talking about. <clears throat> it says that they've received double for all, her sin, all their sins. You know, it's a glorious thing to be forgiven a debt, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? You owe a million dollars, and somebody comes along and says, it's forgiven. But you know, if I owe a million dollars, I'm probably still clothed in rags, and I'm probably still wandering the streets because I don't have anything. And it's wonderful to have the debt forgiven, but I still don't have anything. You know what happened to the Lord's people? Not only was their debt forgiven, not only were they pardoned of all of their iniquities, but they received double. They got the pardoning and the debt forgiveness, and then we're made fellow citizens with the saints. Mm -hmm. We've been given not just, you know, we could have been our debt forgiven. Okay, you're forgiven, now go on, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. That's not what the Lord said, is it? You know, you remember the prodigal son? I love that story. He says, he came to himself, and that's not a story of the new birth and the forgiveness of sins. I understand that. But, but think about this in terms of what we have in Christ, okay? He said, how many servants, hired servants of my father's have enough and to spare? And I'm down here eating husks or trying to eat husks with the pigs. I'm going to go back home. And I'm going to tell, I'm paraphrasing, you can read it in the 15th chapter of Luke sometime. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell my father, Father, just make me a hired servant. Just, just, just let me be. You know, I, I've, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Just let me be a hired servant. Let, let me, let's turn over there. You've got to read this with me because this is so good. This is so sweet. In Luke 15. Verse 18, just to get it right, he said, I'll arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Yes, exactly where we are. We're not worthy to be called the sons of God. So he came, we're told, verse 20, he went there and we saw where the father ran to him. In verse 21, he starts his speech. He says, Son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But I want you to notice the father interrupts him here. He doesn't let him get to that part about just let me be like a hired servant. But the father said to his servants, You bring the, forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Mm-hmm. See, that's the double for our sins. Amen. You understand? Yeah. Right. We've been forgiven. But we've not just been forgiven. We've been placed in a position of sonship. Amen. You know, He could have forgiven us and we could continue wandering destitute and empty here in this world. But He placed us, He took us from that and He put us up in a place where we can enjoy tonight. Amen. We can enjoy this morning. We can enjoy the fellowship. We can enjoy things in this world. And not only this, we're fellow citizens with the saints. Our citizenship is in heaven now. Amen. Praise God for that. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news. Yes. And when I hear that, even though I deserve death, even though I'm in fear of death, because in my flesh, I know that after death, there's something horrible waiting for me. 
or should be. Yeah. Now that I've been born of the Spirit, now that I have that struggle within me, rather than wandering through this life in a fear of death and therefore in bondage, I'm able to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom here and now. Mm-hmm. How is that? Through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Through the gospel. The gospel doesn't born us again. The gospel didn't put away one sin. We didn't believe our redemption into existence. But when we believe, we were able to leave the bondage and to lay it aside and go back to the Father's house and enjoy not just being a hired servant, but being a prince before God. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of the gospel. That's why when somebody asks you, that's what you tell them when somebody asks you to share the good news. That's why we need the good news, the gospel of the glorious grace of God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Peace and love.